Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning. Uh, I am not Bruce. Uh, our pastor, Bruce Wood, is actually out this, uh, this week uh, speaking at another one of the churches in our network of churches called Seabreeze Community Church. They are over in Huntington Beach, California. So they, uh, they asked him to speak um, to tell really what God is doing uh, up here at Santa Clarita. And so he's sharing with them, uh, honey, uh, the church there, Seabreeze, has been a really big help as we've uh, launched out Valley Lights Church. And it's really kind of an interesting thing. They've, they've sent up teams to help out. They've had their band come and play for us. Uh, they've done lots of things behind the scene. Uh, they've contributed in a lot of different ways. Uh, but it's a funny thing that happens in the church is that there are a lot of people that are cheering for us. Honestly, we wouldn't, we wouldn't exist as a church if it wasn't for a lot of people pulling together uh, that maybe you've never even met to make all this happen, uh, at least to get off the ground. But there's a funny thing that happens when all these people are here encouraging us and our faith grows and we're able to reach out and connect with lots of people. And some of you are here because of the encouragement and the investment that they've made in our lives. So it's an exciting thing where Bruce is there telling the story of what God's doing up here at Valley Lights, and it's an encouragement to uh, this church in Huntington. So, uh, man, good work, everybody. You know, this is going to be a big encouragement, I know. We're going to continue in on our uh, series that we've been doing through the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 4, if you've been following along. Hopefully that's been a blessing to you. Uh, kind of... Moving on that same theme of uh, the investment that other people have made in us and then that we uh, then get to be an encouragement to them. My mom actually is here this morning. I don't often get to do this, but I'm getting older and I'm realizing that I need to take, these adva uh, take advantage of the opportunities. And I don't say this nearly enough. And for most of my childhood, I would say to my mom, oh man, you guys are just so lucky that you got a kid that turned out as well as I did. <laughs> and I'm sure she doubted at some times that I did turn out well, um, but I'm really thankful to her and my dad for the seed that was planted in me spiritually, and um, honestly, a lot of the reason that I'm even here is because of what they started, so thank you, and I'm excited that she's here, and I'll, I'm going to start with a story that uh, my mom knows all too well, and now you guys will know well. We grew up in Louisiana, which if you haven't been to Louisiana, is very, very, very flat. It's extraordinarily flat. So if we had a vacation, we would either go to the beach, because it's the beach, it's awesome, or we would go anywhere where there's mountains. And I love living around Santa Clarita because we have mountains and hills and all sorts of different elevation. But I really, really, really liked getting up there to, to see the big, uh, the big mountains. We went to Colorado a lot. We went to Tennessee a lot, uh, the Smoky Mountains. Really, really love all that. I love to see just the view and just realize just how, how small we are in the, the midst of such a big world that God's created. But another thing that never made sense to me, there's people in this room that are rule followers. There are people that are not rule followers. I generally tend towards the not rule follower category. Uh, when I was younger, uh, you would always get to these beautiful views and there would be a warning sign. And that never really made sense to me because you could always just walk around the warning sign and get closer to the edge. And that's where I wanted to live. So my mom had uh, to suffer through uh, seeing over and over her son getting ridiculously close to the edge. And so I have actually a couple pictures here because I did this over and over and over. Anytime I would see a warning sign, 
I would take a picture to document how brave or stupid I was being. I have another one. I think of a waterfall, you know. It was dangerous. And it's funny how, again, I was probably in my, I think I was in my early 20s when I took that picture. Uh, now, later 30s. I sometimes, right before bed, will think about these things and, you know, have that, like, sick feeling inside. I have... <laughs> I have like one more picture of one of these. This was the first time I ever saw one where they truly did gate it in. This is actually Stone Mountain in Georgia. If you've ever been there, it's, a, it's kind of a really rounded surface. And there was this, uh, this day that I was thinking about this and I realized the reason that they put like a legit fence, like you can't, I mean, you can listen to the sign. Obviously there's, there's penalty if you don't listen to the sign. But if you get to the other side of this, it's not far behind, beyond the fence, that there's this kind of like uh, point of no return, where you look at the sign and the sign's cute, sign's helpful, the fence is definitely helpful, but if you get around that thing and you just veer just a little bit, this isn't one of those ones where you have a chance to, to obey or not obey, you're going to be fighting with the laws of gravity at that point if you don't listen to this fence. And uh, the warning signs there are basically for two different reasons. One is to kind of give you a, uh, a, a, just an awareness of the reality of the situation. Hey, there's something here that we want to make sure to warn you about. The second thing is to let you know that there's danger ahead. And there's lots of dangers that could be ahead. There could be a cliff drop off. There's slippery rocks when you're talking about that. I think I had another one on here, but I can't remember, about, a, uh, I've, I've seen lots of lakes uh, that I've been on that were frozen lakes, um, where you're just kind of, you're thinking, ah, you know, I guess I could probably go walk out on that ice, but you don't really know. There's lots of dangers that these signs are trying to alert you to. And now that I have a son, I have another picture up here. Uh, this was the other day. Again, this isn't, this is Summit Park. So if you know, there's not really that much danger on the other side of this gate, but they do put a sign there because they don't want people in this area. But since I have a son, I take these warning signs way more seriously than I did when it was just me. Because I know that he doesn't know what's on the other side of the fence. He doesn't know that there comes a point where you pass the point of no return. And we're, we've been going through this series in the book of Daniel. And today we're actually going to be looking at really something that should be a big warning to all of us. It's, uh, it's something that you might not see. It's just like those situations where you kind of go, I don't really see danger, so let me just walk around the warning sign. The, the warning that we're talking about here is really, really difficult uh, to see. And so uh, it's going to be really helpful to all of us. But in this letter or this, uh, this series, there's a lot of pressure in our culture right now to do a lot of different things that are against uh, God's will. And there's, because of that mounting pressure, we're actually looking at a book of the Bible, Daniel, uh, which was uh, written during a time of extreme uh, turmoil, extreme pressure. And we're, we've been reading about a guy named Daniel, who the book's named after, that weathered this very well and at each point saw blessing in his life because he was able to walk through it successfully. So we've read three chapters now together. Maybe you've been reading it through the week. Uh, but we're going to continue on with Daniel chapter 4. And I just a heads up, in case this is uh, um, distracting anybody, I'm going to put on glasses because I'm reading. And so that helps me out. <clears throat> I just didn't want you to think that I did this just to look good. Um, 
But we're going to continue on Daniel chapter 4, uh, and we'll start with verses 1 through 3. And I have it up on the screen, and you have some of these in the handout, but we didn't want to make it too long. So you don't have everything, but, so just follow along. Uh, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So we've been talking about uh, a lot of different things in this series. I have a picture of Nebuchadnezzar up here. Uh, this guy has been uh, kind of one of the characters in all the stories we've talked, to, talked about so far. And based on all the things that we've talked about, he is uh, not a good guy. Uh, pretty much everything that you see here uh, that we've talked about in this series, the Babylonians were an extremely brutal people. They had many gods, and uh, of all those gods, one of the gods that was not included in there was the god that Daniel worshipped, the god of the Bible. So him starting off by talking about God in this way should make us all just step back and say, whoa, this is kind of a big deal. What, what's going on here? And this book is, or this specific chapter is unlike any chapter that you're going to read, not just in this book, but in the entire Bible. Um, there's a passage of scripture that we, uh, some of us in D groups have been memorizing, that's uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, and it starts off that all scripture is God-breathed. So this is really interesting, that this chapter, which is part of the Bible, is God breathed and important to us. God put this in here for a very specific reason, but it was written by an ungodly king. What do you do with that? It's kind of interesting. I think what we should do today is just take notice that this must be really important if God put this in here. So we're reading about a guy that had no fear of God. And you see him here looking out on his kingdom. We're going we're gonna to reference this many times. This was the most powerful kingdom of the day. They did not fear God. They did this all in what they feel like was their own strength and power. And something has changed for this guy. He suddenly recognizes that God is God of all. So why is that? All right, let's continue reading because we're going to find out together. So I didn't put this one in the notes, but just follow along with me. Uh, don't get lost because this is kind of long. Um, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. You can see him. He doesn't look like he has very much worry. He's got it all figured out. But he had a bad dream, and it frightened him. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they uh, may make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, I told them, that the, uh, told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. You may be thinking if you've listened to some of the other messages, wait, didn't this happen in chapter two? It did, but this is a different dream. <laughs> Finally, Daniel named Belteshazzar, after his name, uh, the name of Nebuchadnezzar's gods, in a spirit, and uh, one that has the spirit of the holy gods in him, came before me, and I told him the dream. Belteshazzar 
heard, uh, or head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw in its interpretation. In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew large and strong and its top reached to the sky. And it was visible to the ends of the earth. We actually have a picture of something that might have looked somewhat like it, you know, just a big tree. But he saw this in his mind and it really disturbed him. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant. And on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches and every creature was fed from it. And I was lying in my bed and I also saw in the vision of my mind a watcher, kind of like an angel, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots uh, in the ground. And with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the tender grass of the field, let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him uh, be given to the mind of an animal. And for seven periods of time, this word is by decree of the watcher and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This, one, uh, this is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me the meaning, um, uh, tell me the meaning, uh, the interpretation, uh, so that it might be known to me. But you can, uh, because uh, nobody has been able to interpret this, but you can because you have the spirit of the Most High. So, He's expressed this dream. So you might have had a dream like this where you went, man, that's really bizarre. You ever had that experience where you've had a dream like this and you've tried to explain to a coworker what it is, and the more you're explaining it, you have to kind of like stop yourself because you realize, I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> well, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar had necessarily that feeling because I think he was so intensely afraid of what this must mean. We've all had maybe uh, either a dream we've woken up from that seems so real or something that we've experienced where it just kept you up. There was some awareness inside of you that what was said was really meaningful and you needed to know what it meant. So it continues here. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king, the king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar, again, just to let you know, this is Daniel, by the way. This is, Nebuchadnezzar would call him Belteshazzar because that was the name he had given to him, but it's Daniel that he's talking about. It says, Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth, 
and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And on it was the food uh, for all that was under it. And again, all he lists through the whole thing, uh, the whole dream that he had just seen. Uh, the king saw a watcher and the Holy One coming down from the heavens and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and the bands of iron around it. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, this just decree of the Most High that has been issued against my, uh, has been issued against my Lord the King. This is as Nebuchadnezzar feared about him. You will be driven away from the people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone that he wants. As the, uh, the command to leave the tree's stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that the heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the uh, at, uh, 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. So we see a lot going on here. Number one, this is another one of those dreams that God has given to Nebuchadnezzar. It's very, very strange. Why, why, why did he give him this king? Why didn't God just, you know, poke his head down from heaven and say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, knock it off. I'm going to destroy you if you keep doing what you're doing. I don't know. I think that there was something about the way this dream was given to him that, number one, maybe alerted him to how serious this was. But it also allowed God to use his man, somebody that has been faithful to him, to speak to this king. So we see another opportunity where Daniel, who's a really, not just, we don't say a good guy. This guy is the kind of person with strong character who in the face of uh, peer pressure, in, in the face of a society that could literally destroy him, stood up for what was right and God used him over and over. So obviously he gets to be used here. But we see a king that's wrestling with the interpretation of a dream. And if you've ever had that feeling where you've had something that just will not let you go to sleep, you know that feeling. It's not just, oh, this is annoying. You do have some of those nights where, oh, this is annoying. I can't get to sleep. This was a deeply troubling dream. He had to find out the answer to. This wasn't something where he was going to go, well... Uh, if I have a good breakfast, maybe I'll forget about it and move about my day. He, he sought out every wise man in his, his land. And then in addition to that, I guess it was his last resort. Let me pull out Daniel and see if he can answer it. But then he gets this answer from Daniel, which Daniel is even hesitant to even tell him because it's so shocking and it's just going to be such a brutal thing that's about to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And... It's kind of an interesting thing about the way that God works. God didn't just tell him this and then immediately it happens. A little time passes. It says actually a year passes. So we find at the end of this story, Nebuchadnezzar is standing on his roof. A year has passed since he's heard this. and He's looking out over everything. I think we can put that, that other picture back up of him looking back over his land. 
he's safe in his palace and he says in verse 30, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and majestic glory? Nebuchadnezzar is looking over this kingdom and again, it just, it just seems illogical that, it's, that anything could possibly uh, dethrone him, could, could move him. I mean, he looks around, you would understand that as a guy like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar this never walked with God, and all he looks around and sees is such greatness and success, it would be very, very easy to get very confused in the situation about who or why he was in this position. A year has gone by, so he probably feels pretty safe. And maybe you've read something in the scripture before that's been kind of like this where God challenged you on something, or, or Bruce maybe up here has said something, and you feel challenged by it, you feel really convicted, and you think about it for like a week, and then some time goes by, and it's not like you get punished or anything really changes in your life, and you suddenly go, well, God must not take it very seriously because, you know, time's gone by. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, as scary as this dream was and what an impact that was on him, time has gone by. So Nebuchadnezzar standing on his roof. He's looking at all this stuff and going, you know, that was a pretty troubling dream. But I mean, I mean, this place is pretty awesome. And I mean, I built it. So even if God did something here, I mean, I could either build it again. Maybe he just like God puts a little dent in things. Surely he wouldn't take it all away from me. And we think about uh, the great sports stars of our day, how they're defending their, uh, their, their image or their legacy. I think of Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. Surely at some point they could not imagine that some young guy could come along and maybe take away their records because they're pretty awesome. I mean, so Nebuchadnezzar at his time of the world, world rulers was like the Michael Jordan. There was no one else in his category. And so he stood upon that kingdom, looked at it and said, well, I mean, I did all this stuff. What could possibly happen to me? Well, we're about to see that God is slow to act sometimes for the good and mercy of others and sometimes so that we'll learn our lesson, but he does act. So in verse 31, we see, while the words were still in the king's mouth, have you ever done that? Had something prideful and literally as you were saying it, you got to taste <laughs> swift justice? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar knows what that's like. Um, While the words were still in his mouth, a voice from heaven said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, uh, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from these people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So I think we have actually another picture of an artistic rendering. And again, this was in uh, kind of carved into something and printed. So it's a little tricky to see. Uh, but you can see here, they've tried to illustrate him eating 
the grass, his, his claws, like literally his fingernails have grown so long that they're like claws. His, his hair, you can imagine, would be very matted. Again, I think this is a very sanitized version of what that experience would be like. Anybody who's gone camping knows it does not take that long for your hair to get matted and, and uh, the dirt and to take over. But you see, I think probably the thing that's most embarrassing of all this is that somebody that would be so great would be reduced to eating and living amongst animals. And I've heard lots of things about how this went down. Was he you know, temporarily insane? Uh, did he know what was going on? Um, a lot of people believe that not only did he know what was going on, but uh, that God somehow kept that part of his faculties that he could experience just the sheer humiliation of becoming like an animal. Not only uh, having zero uh, power, but literally having zero control over your faculties and just living uh, in the fields. So what happened? God fulfilled the prophecy. That's one very, very big part here is that God keeps his word and he does fulfill the prophecy that he gave. He uh, used the prophecy uh, in the resulting fulfillment to humble Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was brought down to a knowledge of what his real place in this world was. But we can think of this letter as kind of a proclamation from the king that we're reading. So the first proclamation that we want to highlight here is that there is one who rules above all. So if you're a, a blank filler, you can fill in that one. There is one who rules above all, and he is the God of the Bible. He is the one uh, that we worship. And as you're kind of going through this story, uh, there's kind of a question that came up, definitely came up for me. Maybe you're thinking it as well, is that, uh, well, if God took this so seriously and he did all this stuff to Nebuchadnezzar, why didn't he just, you know, he let him know what he was going to do to him. Why didn't he just zonk him out? Just take Nebuchadnezzar out completely. This guy was a really, really bad guy. He had dishonored God. So why didn't God just take him out? I think God clearly had a purpose for Nebuchadnezzar because from the beginning of the prophecy, uh, they did say that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be restored as king. So God kept his promise and he was restored. But God may not have had a purpose uh, specifically for Nebuchadnezzar that he was uh, trying to fulfill which is to, keep, to keep him as king. Maybe it was for all those people who were following God, who were in this season of uh, exile, was, I mean, maybe that was the reason. Sorry, I didn't say that very clearly, but Daniel and his buddies were kicked out of Israel, and they find themselves in Babylon. They're in exile, and clearly part of the reason that they did that was for God to discipline his people. But what is more humiliating than finding yourself in exile, but finding yourself in exile under an ungodly king? So I think that's kind of an important part of this story is that God had a clear purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. So he does this thing to genuinely humble Nebuchadnezzar, but at the same time, he puts him back into position to fulfill his purpose. It shows you something about our God, that he, he, he doesn't just uh, you know, do this thing on a whim. His purpose will be fulfilled even through people who do not walk with him. That is a very, very powerful thing. So, and also I put on here uh, kind of a breakdown where you'll see uh, a few of these verses that we've already gone through. 
Um, you see some things that are highlighted over and over, but basically kind of the key point that's re reflected over and over, uh, said at least three times in this passage is that um, you will acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to who he wants. I think if you ever had a question in your mind whether God had control over the leaders of this planet, uh, this chapter, chapter 4, is a clear illustration that that is the case. Nebuchadnezzar wrote with his own hands this account to let us know that, hey, this really happened, and this, uh, this king that I thought had nothing to do with my life, this God that I just thought was another God, turns out he's in control of me, a person that doesn't respect the gods. Our God is a God of all the rulers in the world, and like it says over and over, that king, kingdom, heaven, which for most human beings on this earth is this kind of like pie-in-the-sky thing, it's heaven that rules. That's strange, because we're coming up on an election, and I don't know about you, I've already filled out my ballot, sent it in. Maybe you had that experience of filling in your little circles and kind of going, well, what's between these two guys? <laughs> You know, what, what is this choice? Well, there's a beautiful thing here that we need to be encouraged by is the fact that whatever blank you filled in, whether you went for the guy that you felt like or gal that you felt like was the least awful, or you were really confident, it doesn't really matter because heaven rules. Our God is the one who rules over all. And Nebuchadnezzar, a guy that you would say, not a Christian, not a believer, he learned this lesson. So this is a pretty powerful. He wanted us to know about this. So that's proclamation number one. Proclamation number two may be the thing uh, that is the most important that we could possibly learn from this. Because it deals with something that is almost invisible to us. You'll see if you're following along in your notes that there is a, uh, there's an invisible liability that each one of us deals with, and it's very, very tricky, and it's the thing of pride. So if you want to fill in the blank, you can fill in pride. But in verse 37, which is the final verse of this chapter, something really, really important is explained. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven, because all his works are true and his ways are just, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So Nebuchadnezzar is reflecting on all the things that he's experienced. And if you don't want to read the other 36 verses again, you could read verse 37 and get the pinnacle lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned. It's that God is able to humble those who walk in pride. Not only was God the ruler of all, but he really does humble those who walk in pride. It seems like this almost comes out of nowhere. I mean, there's a lot of lessons that Nebuchadnezzar could have learned from this. Maybe he could have concluded, you know, uh, the God of heaven, he is in control of everything, and you better do what he says. That could have been the lesson that he learned. Or maybe he could have said, you know what, God is the one true God, so let's get all these different gods out of here. But I think what the reason that Nebuchadnezzar came out with this final uh, sentence 
is because this was the thing that boiled to the top in his mind. Was it that this God, not only is he real, but he really can humble people who walk in pride. He's been through a lot. He had grass like an animal. He had had everything taken away from him and then given back to him. And he finally says that those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. So there's not a lot after reading all that we've read about Nebuchadnezzar that I can identify with. Uh, I, I've never lived in a palace. I've never built a palace. I don't know what it must have been like, all the things that he's possibly experienced. We've had some nice things in America, but there's not a lot that I could identify with. But the one thing that all of us can identify with Nebuchadnezzar is that whether we know it or not, we all deal with pride. And the tricky thing about pride is that a lot of times we don't even see it coming. It's, it's invisible. Uh, to Sarah, kind of a personal story that just makes me cringe on the inside. Uh, I've shared with you, many of you, like my story. I moved out here to get ministry training, went way off track. We could talk more about that later. Um, but the people who really helped me get, up, get back on track and get, get going were uh, from uh, Church in the Valley. Church in the Valley is the church that planted the church that then planted this church. So uh, my pastor, Randy, uh, was a, a great pastor and a mentor to me. He taught me lots of things, and I, I owe so much to him. But when I first started coming to Church in the Valley, uh, somebody, or he actually had invited me to come to one of the leadership meetings so I could get an idea of, you know, how, how things are done at the church. And they actually, thinking back, this was a great honor that he let me even come near this meeting because the people that were in this room were all people who had earned their leadership in the church. These were guys that I was a very, very small person and they were very, very big people. Um, they were people that had earned uh, the right by their character and the work that they had done in this church, the amount of sacrifice. And so Randy had invited me along to come to this meeting and humbly get to sit in the corner and watch what was going on. And at one point in the meeting, uh, Randy had said something that wasn't, uh, it's not that it wasn't right. It's that some, it was an area where I felt like I knew something that I could share. And so I very quickly uh, spoke up and let Randy know, hey, Randy, I actually had taken a class that was the guy who, who wrote the part. Do you mind if I share that with the group? And uh, I went ahead and shared, and people listened, and you know, whatever. It was one of those moments where I didn't really think anything of it. I got to show this group, this new group that I wasn't a part of, that I was really something and I was very smart. Well, I couldn't have possibly seen what I now feel when I think back on that story. Because I know the guys that are in that room. There were men in that room that were my age, and they had been a part of this church for 10 years. You know, young, young men are often fairly squirrely. They don't really invest their money in anything that, that, that doesn't just bring them pleasure. These guys had really sacrificed to be a part of this group. And the longer I was with this group, I was deeply humbled and deeply learned that 
these guys were really big and I was very small and I needed to learn from them. And one day, uh, again, 12 years later, one of those big fish that was in that meeting reminded me of that meeting and I felt this small. I did not deserve to be in that meeting. I was a very, very small one and if I would have done much better if I would have shut my mouth and opened my ears to be in that meeting. But that's really the way pride is. Pride is an, uh, an attitude that really makes us see ourselves as deserving more than we actually do. And it actually, it causes a lot of problems in how we treat other people. But like Nebuchadnezzar did, it also gives us, creates a lot of problems in how we treat God and how we relate to God. So if we look back at Daniel chapter, four, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, we see two clues that might help us to identify when we've gotten into pride. So it says, the king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? So I've hi highlighted two things here. The first one is by my vast power, and the second one is for my majestic glory. So these are the two things that a lot of times when we've gotten into pride, we don't see as being really any big deal. We look at situations that we've done, and there's a, certain, there's a certain kind of pride of life that's a good thing. You've done a good job, great, we should celebrate. You should, you should be excited when we do things that we've worked hard and now we get to benefit from. But there's this sneaky turn that takes place from saying, I'm really excited, I did this good thing, or man, I did such a good job that my boss gave me a raise, I'm really excited. There's a turn that happens in the heart that is very, very tricky to identify, where we stop saying, man, this is great that I did this thing, to start feeling like I deserve, because of what I've done, I deserve. And you know what, God probably had something to do with this, but you know what, it was probably a pretty small role because I'm actually pretty great. That, you know, yeah, every once in a while I need a little help from God, but it's really because of who I am. And I know nobody in this room has ever done this, but sometimes I will listen to Bruce and I'll go, man, this is a great, great message for somebody in here. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. We do this all the time in our relationships, at work, with our finances, the way we treat other people, and how we relate to God. So, thinking about the warning signs, this is an amazing opportunity to see that there is a warning sign that Nebuchadnezzar, an ungodly king, has given to us to let us know that we do not want to get into this. Number one, God is ruler over all. He is the one who puts kings in place, but we do not want to get into pride because God is one that can humble the people who walk in pride. Um, a couple of verses that I, I put on your handout that are really helpful in this is uh, Proverbs 16, 16, 18, which says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Who's looking for a fall this week? If you were looking to have a great time and have a, you know, just a complete destruction this week, there's a clue here that we do not want to get into pride. 
because that is a, that's the fast track to it. Another one is James chapter 4, verse 6, which says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And I put up here a picture of uh, kind of a football team. I, I was born a Saints fan, but I put Rams up here because I know some people like the Rams. They are a great football team. Uh, but when we think about why, I mean, why did you come here this morning? All of us would love to think that when we line up in the game of life, that God is on our side. But if you get into pride, you can guarantee that the team that's across from you is the God of the universe, the God who was able to crush Nebuchadnezzar and make him an animal. That's who we are lining up against when we get into pride. So this is really, really critical that we spend a little time thinking about this because I'm telling you, again, when you prepare a message, you think about this for weeks and weeks leaning up to it. And I will even say, now having researched this for several weeks, pride is tricky. It is really, really, really tricky to root out and identify. Um, so I wanted to put up a couple questions that you could ask yourself that could help maybe as a little bit of a barometer. Uh, so some questions that you could ask yourself before God to determine, am I sliding into pride is, uh, how grateful are you to God for what he has provided? You think about that, it's like, well, pretty helpful. I'm pretty grateful. If we don't have deep abiding gratitude for what God has done, we have slid into that tricky space where we may think that a lot of this is because of what we've done. So it's a good question to ask. Um, how often do you confess sin? How seriously we take sin is a, good, uh, is a good indicator of how much pride has infected us. I will say that is one that I uh, deal with a great bit. Do you regularly seek to find out what God wants done? So how do you approach the Bible to messages you hear on Sunday, to getting input from other people who are wise and have learned how to apply God's truth? That is a really, really good indicator of if we've gotten into pride or not. Do you regularly seek to rely on God for things? People who trust in their own strength do not rely on God for things. It's because of pride. Another avenue is uh, in how you deal with other people. This was kind of a funny one uh, that comes up over and over. If you get bugged by prideful people, that might be just that, you know, they're annoying, you know, whatever. That could be the case. But a lot of times we get bugged by prideful people because they're taking the position that we actually think we should have. That is, that's a pretty good indicator. Do you look down on others as less than you? And again, this is really sneaky because we're all good people. But I do look down on people sometimes. And it's because of pride. Do you get bugged by people who don't do what you want done? When you have an issue this week, um, uh, or a as you experience uh, issues this week, I would probably ask that question, um, was pride involved? 99% of the time, the answer is yes. In preparing for this, over and over, my wife and I, uh, or my wife has helped me to see, uh, just by the way I've responded and all this stuff, that yes, I have a deep pride issue. 
Um, now, we might not be a full-blown Nebuchadnezzar. It's very easy to look at this story and go, well, I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to destroy me or anything like that. But when we get into pride, God opposes us. We do not want to be humbled by God. So the Bible gives us two options, really, when it comes to this whole humbling thing. One is that uh, we wait for God to humble us, which we saw how well that went. And that takes a lot of different forms. Our God is a deeply merciful God. And so he doesn't just stick his thumb down from heaven and crush us. A lot of times it's like Nebuchadnezzar where you have this year period of time where you're going, I don't know, is God going to destroy me? <laughs> you know, he is very merciful. And um, how he deals with us is the way a parent deals, a loving parent deals with their children. He can't look away from our sin. He can't look away from these things that are going to just wreck our lives. <clears throat> but we have another choice besides God humbling us, and that's for us to humble ourselves. So 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So the moral of the story today is not to say, let's all just become these mopey, humble people, and we can't have ambition and want things for our lives. But we should want to genuinely connect with the real God and humble ourselves so that he can be the one to lift us, lift us up. You know, he was the one that not only took Nebuchadnezzar out, but he was the one that put Nebuchadnezzar back for his purposes and his glory. And honestly, from everything that I've read, Nebuchadnezzar, you'll notice he's suddenly silent in the next chapter, which we'll talk about next week. And um, that's because he's not there anymore. His end was not a pretty end. But God is the one who controls who's in charge, um, who, who he puts in power is because of him. But we should really want to walk with this loving God to the extent that we would be willing to do the thing that no human wants to do, which is humble ourselves. So if you're part of Valley Lights Church, if this is your church home and you've been here for a while, that's a beautiful thing that we can do for one another. As we build deep friendships together and get to know one another, we can be humbled. When we see somebody that's doing something spiritually, that we don't do, we can try to out, you know, outclass them or out show them how much we know and how good we are. Or we can humble ourselves and learn from other people. As a, as a community, when we see things that are going on in each other's lives that is not in line with God's word, we can humble ourselves to share with that person, hey, uh, this is going to be really difficult to say, but I see you going off track and I love you too much to say something. And then they can reciprocally humble themselves and receive that and their lives be changed by what God can do in our, uh, through his word. So there's a lot of layers to this thing and it is deeply invisible. It's tricky. We need other people to help us as we walk through this path of trying to figure out when we've gotten into pride. So I hope some of the things that we've shared this morning are helpful in doing that. Again, I apologize that I didn't have those questions on the handout, uh, but if you listen to this, uh, we always have this at valleylightschurch.com. You can re-listen to it. Um, a couple next steps that might be helpful, maybe one of them that's not listed in there in your handout would be to just think through those questions and think, you know, have I gotten into pride in some area? Recognizing it is probably the first step to, to dealing with it. The next thing, if you've been wrestling with this idea of making Jesus the boss of your life, putting him fully in control, 
that might be your next step. When we, we, we can't even really begin this journey until we've put ourselves in the right relationship to God by humbling ourselves and saying, God, you get full control of every area of my life. It is deeply humbling, but it's the beginning of all sorts of blessing that we're just not capable of in our own strength. And then finally, this is an election week. It's going to be a time of mixed emotion. Your guy or gal got the office you wanted. That guy that you were praying against got the office. But we really do need to humble ourselves and bring this to God and pray for his help during this election. Because if there's one thing that we've seen over and over in our culture right now is that we need God to be involved. We really, really, really need his help. And he is in control. So as we wrap up, let me uh, say a word of prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll continue. Dear God, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you put this very strange story in your scripture for us to learn from. God, thank you for the warning. Um, I pray that we would take it very seriously, that you, um, you love us enough to warn us when we're off track, and you love us enough to warn us from things that are even really tricky, like pride. Uh, God, I do pray that you would be that you would show yourself in control this week as all the people who are selected for office or voted on for office, uh, they were put in position by you. Remind us of that this week as we see election results and things come out. Uh, but I, God, I, I do pray that you would help us to learn to walk in, um, in humility and not in pride. Um, I pray that we would choose to humble ourselves rather than be humbled by you. And God, again, I thank you for this church. I thank you for how it's helped me and um, how we've helped each other. And I pray that you would use um, this community um, to help us all walk humbly to be lights for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.